Hello and welcome to Something Interesting. I'm Albert Berg, and today's interesting thing starts with dinosaurs. We're going back to 1991 to start this story out. And for a bit of context, you should remember that 1991 is two years before Jurassic Park came out. And yet... Before Steven Spielberg set the world on fire with the movie that made us all think about Mad Men making dinosaur parks, there was already a madman who was set on making a dinosaur park, and his name was Mark Klein. Mark Klein was an artist, but not your highfalutin kind of artist, not your hobnobbing at fancy wine parties and getting his stuff sold at auction kind of artist. No, Mark Klein just wanted to build some cool fiberglass dinosaurs. And so that's what he decided to do. Mark Klein said, I think dinosaurs are cool. If I build a cool park with some dinosaurs in them, like full-scale fiberglass models of dinosaurs, people are going to want to come and see that. People will pay to come and see that. And at a very early age, this is Mark Klein's vision, and he pursues it. He sets up shop in Virginia, and he sets up the Enchanted Castle Studios where he starts making fiberglass dinosaurs. And he's outside his shop one day, putting one of these dinosaurs together, and a man pulls up in a pickup truck. Now, I don't know what kind of pickup truck it actually was, but I get to tell the story here. So it was a 1950s beat-up kind of Ford pickup truck, you know, the big, bulky, heavy ones that you always see in period pieces, except it had a door replaced. There was some rust on the fender. And the guy that gets out, he's probably wearing overalls, dusty baseball cap. And he walks up to Mark Klein working on his dinosaurs, and he says, Hey, man, some cool dinosaurs. And Mark Klein says, Yeah, thanks. And this guy says, What would it cost for somebody to get one of these, like, in their yard, you know? And Mark Klein doesn't really want to make a dinosaur for this guy's yard, but he doesn't want to say, Buzz off, bud, I don't want to make a dinosaur for your yard. So he takes the middle path and says, a big number, a very large dollar amount, which I do not know the specifics of, and I am not going to try to fill it in for this story. I'll let you do that in your head. But it's the kind of money that Mark Klein thinks will make this man go away and never come back. It is not an actual ask. It's just him saying, no, I don't want this. I'm going to say a stupid large number. Please leave. The man does leave, but he comes back the next day and he says, Hey, I talked to my brother about that number you mentioned. And he says, he wants you to come on down to Alabama and build him some dinosaurs. Mark Klein had been contracted to build dinosaurs by a man named George Barber. 
And if you've never heard of George Barber, that's okay. I hadn't heard of him either before I started researching this story. And I still don't know much about him. The two things I know for sure is that George Barber apparently likes dinosaurs and George Barber is a billionaire with a B. George Barber somewhere, somehow got him some Buku bucks. And you can tell he probably hasn't been a billionaire for a super long time if he's the kind of person who's buying fiberglass dinosaurs for his lawn. But that's the kind of billionaire I can get behind. And George Barber has Mark Klein come down and put dinosaurs on the lawn of his property. And when Mark Klein goes back to Virginia, George Barber takes a look at the dinosaurs and says, actually, can you come back down and put some better eyes in him? I heard you had some really cool glass eyes for the dinosaurs you have in Virginia. Uh, And once again, Mark Klein quotes him a stupid high number and George Barber says, yeah, that's fine. And Mark Klein comes down and puts glass eyes in the dinosaurs that George Barber had contracted him to build. And I think there is something fascinating about this story. Something that doesn't quite fit in my view of the world. Because I, I, as I was thinking about this, I was also thinking about Banksy, right? I was thinking about what I wanted to say in this episode of Something Interesting. And really, I wanted to tell you about Mark Klein and George Barber. But I kept thinking, what, what is it about what Mark Klein is doing that isn't quote-unquote art? Because if you don't know Banksy, he is also sort of a working class guy from what we can tell. At least the art he makes is somewhat working class. He's making graffiti. And yet the art world has determined through some nebulous process that Banksy's stuff is real art. And they are willing to pay literally millions of dollars for stuff that has been shoved up on a wall somewhere. And Banksy himself is not happy about this. He does not care for this process of commoditization of his art. He frequently mocks people who are willing to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for a wall he spray painted. Now, we could all make the economic argument, the supply and demand argument about, hey, it seems like everybody wants this Banksy stuff because lots of people know about Banksy. But there's not that many Banksy artworks. And the ones that are there are kind of hard to get because they're on a wall. So obviously you're going to have high prices. And maybe that's it. Maybe that is the end of the equation and we can just stop thinking about the whole question of what is art and what is not art. But the problem with buying a Banksy is that you probably can't do it. Now, Banksy has himself played on this a lot 
through his career. He has gone to some places and sold original artworks that he has done for like 60 bucks just as a commentary on the absurdity of assuming that there's some inherent obvious value about his work. But ultimately even that then becomes ultra valuable, right? Because if you were there and you bought the Banksy work for 60 bucks and you said, well, this is a cool, you know, Banksy ripoff. Maybe I'll invest the money in this. I guess I've got 60 bucks to spare at this sidewalk fair in New York. Well, then you have at least tens of thousands of dollars worth of artwork on your wall. And either you definitely, definitely put that in a very expensive frame or more likely you sell it. But art is something I think that ought to be experienced for each individual person. And that's why I'm so excited about this Mark Klein story because I didn't tell you the whole story. See, Mark Klein goes down and he builds all these dinosaurs for George Barber and they're initially on George Barber's private property. I assume around wherever he's living, it's probably some giant tacky mansion, but again, this is just my mental picture of the story, so it might not match up with reality. But what I do know is that George Barber eventually says, you know what, Mark we need to move these dinosaurs. They're, they're fine on my lawn. I loved looking at them, but other people need to be able to see these. And George Barber and Mark Klein work together to move the dinosaurs along the side of a road that leads up to a marina that George Barber owns. They're just in the woods on the side of the road. There's no gate There's nobody standing there asking you for your ticket. They just sit there and be. And if you didn't know they were there, you could just drive by. You might not even notice them. The Stegosaurus is relatively out in the open, but some of them are well hidden. You have to go searching for these things. And yet, if you do, you can see them for free. All it costs you is the time and the travel to get there. And I've done this. I have gone to see Mark Klein's Alabama dinosaurs, which are also right next to his other installation that he has done for George Barber, Bama Henge. Bama Henge is a scale model of Stonehenge made out of fiberglass and I just got to say, I didn't realize Stonehenge was that big, but it's pretty big, guys. And I didn't go and see it by myself. I went with my four-year-old son at the time. And the experience of going on this journey with him, it wasn't, it wasn't just around the block, right? We, we had to go about an hour out of our way to see this installation, And I envisioned what it was going to be like in my head. Before I went, I said, there are dinosaurs in the woods. And we're going to go and drive and see them. And it's going to be magical and awesome. And I'm going to get to spend time with my son hanging out with these weird dinosaurs. And then it happened. Which I don't know if you're a parent. But if you are, you know how unlikely that is. It's so difficult to have 
the good times that you're expecting to have with your children, especially if you have more than one, which I do, but I only took one on this trip. It's easy to plan things and difficult to have them go off in your, in reality, the way they were in your head. And yet this one specific time I planned this and it was exactly as magical as I thought it would be. We got to go see these dinosaurs in the woods, these cool fiberglass T-Rexes and Stegosauruses, and I think a Patasaurus was one of them, and we went and saw Bamahenge, and there's also a giant cool spider right outside the marina that's not made by Mark Klein, but it's still really neat. And all of this all just fell into place and worked out, and I didn't have to pay anything for it. And I think there's something to be said for art that isn't economically valuable. Not just a print of something either, but something that you can own, that you can have on your wall. I have a painting in my living room and I'm going to describe it to you and it's going to sound stupid and maybe it would be stupid to literally anybody else in the world. But to me, it's amazing. It's a painting of the solar system, but it's not done well. It's that sort of haphazard dreamlike solar system that you get when you're a kid and you're trying to draw the solar system, except it's huge, relatively speaking, for, for what you would think a kid would do. It's all in oils, and it, it's got bumps, and you can see the, the way the paint was dried, and it's, it's so close to the edge of playfulness and science. The way those two things work together is just amazing, and I own that art. And I didn't have to pay a million dollars for it. It's mine. I get to have it in my living room. And even though the dinosaurs on Bamahenge that Mark Klein created do not belong to me, I got to go experience them. Not, not like in a gallery somewhere, but just to pull up along the side of the road in the middle of nowhere Alabama and walk around and see this cool thing. And I think that's what's missing in our modern idea of art. Maybe you can go to a museum and experience art as as the sort of cultured people define it. You can go and see a... I don't even know. I'm, I'm drawing a blank on famous artist names. Let's say Picasso. There we go. It's a little bit late for me, guys. You can, you can go to an art museum and see something like that, but I think there's something joyful in finding artwork that, that you can own or experiences that you can have that weren't told you by somebody else. They weren't dictated by the values of society and some other world beyond you, but just something that spoke to you. And maybe it'll only ever speak to you, but that's enough. You can have that. You can own that. And I don't know if anybody who's ever invested in a Banksy painting 
got to experience what I got to experience when I went to see the fiberglass dinosaurs that Mark Klein made for George Barber. I hope they did. But if they did, they paid too much. Because that experience is everywhere. Go looking for it, and you'll see it. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you found this enjoyable and interesting. If you did, tell a friend about it. Leave us a review wherever it is you can leave review for podcasts these days. And I'll see you guys next time with something interesting.